Here's the Smart Retirement Cast brought to you by Smart Retirement Media. Now, here's your hosts, Mike and Matt. All right, listeners, welcome back for another great episode of Smart Retirement Podcast. This is your co-host, Mike Points, and I'm here with my esteemed colleague, Mr. Matt Hollander. Matt, what's shaking? What's going on, Mr. Mike? How's uh, how's the month of September treating you, my friend? It is flying by, flying by. One saving grace is that I am actually officially playing fantasy football again, and we had week one of the NFL season. That was pretty neat. Yeah, in our league together, I didn't do so well this week, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's nice to have something to look forward to and to keep my mind off of everything that else is going on. So I will agree. It's been kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, football fans get a little bit of relief. I think that's a great sport. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those sports where you're happy to watch it at home, you know, and sit around and have a couple people over. So during this pandemic, I think it's it's a great sport to have on. It's just one day a week. Uh, well, actually, it's three days a week. Um, but, um, excited about that. Excited. About, I'm a big fall guy. Like as far as seasons go in the year, I like, sure. fall. um, I live out on the coast, so it's kind of an Indian summer for us. We get a little bit of heat. We get a little bit of the cooler weather at night, but, um, we get a lot, especially in my block, a lot of leaves all over the place and they're already starting to fall. Um, so it, that's just a cure, a pure sign that it is here, uh, soon to be fall. Um, listeners, we've got the beginning of a four part series. We're going to start for you today. And, you know, Matt and I put a lot of thought into this. We thought, you know, we touch on all different types of topics throughout the year. We've been touching on current events. We talked about just a couple episodes ago, we talked about what would the outcome be if Trump was going to be president, you know, Biden was going to be president. So we thought we'd stick to some core topics here of retirement, and we're going to have a four-part series on the risks that you face in retirement, the seven risks that you face in retirement with regards to investments and just you know risks altogether. And Matt, before I botch this part, why don't you tell our listeners what the seven are, and then we'll go, sure. into, the, we'll go into the parts later today, and then let them know what we're going to touch on today, please. I will do that. So as Mike said, we're going to cover the seven risks that we face in retirement. Uh, first one's going to be market risk. Then we're going to go into sequence of returns risk, interest rate risk, investment behavior risk, longevity risk, withdrawal rate risk. And finally, today, what we're going to actually talk about is inflation risk. Yeah. And, you know, Mike, what is inflation risk? Well, at the end of the day, the easiest way to sum it up is purchasing power risk, right? It's the it's the chance that the investment income will not be as much in the future, right? If I have a dollar a day, what's it worth in 20 years? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and interest, you know, interest rates and inflation kind of go hand in hand, you know, the, the as interest rates go down and the cost of money gets more affordable it's likely to believe that that inflation will go up. Um, I think a great way to think about inflation is over time is just like, you know, as the demand for goods and services grow or as the total supply and money in an economy rises, there's likely going to be inflation. That's or deflation, right? Yeah. And then so def I mean, deflation is a totally 
uh, as a counter to inflation, which is something we'll touch on in the show today. But, you know, there's many there's many factors as to why inflation could be happening. Uh, we thought it was the best one to kick off this seven part or excuse me, this four part series with for the seven risk in, in retirement. Um, listeners today, we're going to talk about, you know, the historical outlook or, or viewpoint of, of how to manage inflation, how the Federal Reserve plays an act in that. Uh, we're going to touch on just quickly, you know, policymakers and, and economists, what they're thinking today about inflation. We're also going to touch on um, in the second part of the show, good ways that Matt and I help our clients understand how to combat this risk, how to be aware of it. You know, it's not just like you wake up and every morning and say, I hope there's no inflation, right? Inflation is a thing you have to consider. You have to consider that. So we're going to touch on some ways that we solve all that. But um, I wanted yeah, to we'll, go okay, ahead. Matt. <laughs> all right. So I just wanted to, to make a point. You know, I mean, if we're looking at our seven risks, right? And we're really trying to create, remember the wealth triangle that we did, mm-hmm. right? I think everything, if we chip that triangle upside down, Right, inflation is kind of the teetering point of all the other six that we're going to be focusing on. Because depending on what inflation is doing, you need to change your retirement plan to uh, reflect some of those changes in there. Right, as far as if inflation is high, how are we going to keep up with the income demand, etc. So one of the examples, and I just want to get everyone's kind of brains turning here for a second, because this is an example that I ran across online uh, that I thought was actually pretty right on to a lot of people that I talk to. So, you know, we've got a bunch of people socking away money, you know, for their retirement. Um, But some aren't really thinking about that inflation. And let's say we've got somebody that's saving, I don't know, let's say $5,000 a year. Um, And let's say they're saving it for 30 years, Mm -hmm. right? And if we, and let's say it's just invested into like the S&P 500. So S&P 500 historically has had a little bit over an 8.8% return. So if we say, let's, let's, let's run it even more conservative. We take the $5,000 a year over the 30 years at a 7% return, right? Okay. I think that's pretty conservative for someone that's in a, in a decent market position. And so with that, over that 30 year period and compounding interest, of course, uh, we're going to have about $505,365. Okay. Now, that seems like a, a decent amount of money, right? When you first look at it, but because inflation, right, that future value of money is roughly about $208,000. Doesn't it sound so fancy now? Wow. Right? Yeah. So essentially, they're still sitting on the same pile of dollars that they had before, but they'll be able to purchase less now. And why? because of inflation, right? Um, and Mike, you, you touched on this earlier, is, is basically the, the demand and things change. Um, the cost of goods and services essentially advance over time because of inflation. That's right. right? Yeah, there are, there are significant financial events, like think back to 2008 and the financial crisis, right? That's yep. gonna that's gonna obviously come out of left field and augment inflation over you know almost overnight, but over time you know like the situation we're in this year the 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 pandemic and 
forcing policymakers to create the CARES Act, which we've talked about numerous times this year on the show, is that's inserting money that normally would not be in the economy. It's, It's stimulating this economy so that people can continue to, business owners can continue to offer employment. Um, those people that you know don't have a mortgage payment right now because they've asked to defer their mortgage payment. That's two to three to some people four or five thousand dollars, depending on what state you live in and how how leveraged you are on your mortgage. That they're not paying to a vendor right now. Is that money mm-hmm. going back into their savings account? Is it going into consumer goods? Just all depends. Um, I think. I think the one thing that you brought up great though, is that, you know, the, the, I love that you mentioned the, the future present value. I think that's sure. such a great, a great calculation. That not a lot of people know of that's something you would see in a finance class. Um, but that is what you want to be thinking about listeners. That's the smart way to think about this. Okay. I've got 20, 25 years left. I think I'm going to be living on this earth. I need my money to not run out. I need to be aware of some of these seven risks that Mike and Matt are going to go on today. So let's dig deeper into inflation. Um, but before so Mike, we do before, it, Yeah, I ahead. was going to say, before we do that, I know you've got a birthday coming up. And, uh, you know, just to put this into a picture for our listeners, um, I can, you know, 500,000, 200,000. Let's make it a little more realistic and let's look at inflation a little bit deeper. So um, you're an 80s baby, right? 1980 baby. Okay. So tell me about a couple of things. I know you were doing some research. Uh, tell our listeners, you know, costs of back then to yep. now, just yep. so they can have that aha moment. I'll start with the ones that your grandpa used to tell you about when you were sitting on his knee, like the normal consumer goods. And then I'll get into some of the bigger priced items. But postage stamps in 1980, 15 cents. You want to send Woo. something to someone? 15 cents. A loaf of bread. Now, in 1980, they didn't have all the fancy bread we have now. You go to the bread aisle now and there's like, but a loaf of bread in 1980 was 48 cents. Um, that's right. 48 cents. Can't even get a piece of bread for that cost now. Um, milk, $1 and 60 cents a gallon. Um, but the same thing with milk though, right? Now we got like oat milk. You got almond milk. You got, gosh, I feel like they make milk out of paper now. Recycled paper milk, um, gas, one gallon, a dollar and three cents. Now I know you Californians are laughing because we probably have never been that low, but one dollar and three cents was a gallon of gas. So let's get into some of the bigger items, stuff that really makes sense. So a car, a new car, the average four door sedan was five thousand four hundred and thirteen dollars in nineteen eighty. You'd be wow. lucky to get a twelve year old Honda for that price now. Yep. Um, Income. The average incomes, baffling. Average income. uh, This is probably like, I would say, moderate, just above poverty, was $11,321. So some of you listeners, I've heard my my in-laws talk about their first real career paycheck, which was mid-70s. Yeah, this is the numbers they were telling me. It's just crazy. So therefore, obviously, when income's at that much, the average house price was $86,000 in 1980. Okay. So, you know, if you just jump up from 80 to 1985, some of these costs go up almost 40%. Um, You know, in the 
in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, there was a lot of inflation going on. Um, those of you who were uh, familiar with the Carter years. And, um, but in 85, you know, postage stamps went up to 22 cents. Bread was 74 cents a loaf. Gas went from $1.03 to $1.24, you know, so on and so forth. Houses went from 86,000 up to 116,000. So, you know, that's a, that's a good $30,000 jump. That's actually, if you look at the numbers, that's almost a 40% increase on that asset in just five years. So it just varies every year, but that's a nice gap. I appreciate you bringing up the birthday, Matt. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, the one that, you know, you know, I'm a car guy. So the one that jumps out to me is you're saying back in 1980, the average price of a car was Mm $5,500. Is that the number you gave? Okay. Yep. So. Okay, so if you Kelly Blue Book actually just did a study on this at the beginning of the year, um, they've said that vehicles since 1980 have increased at a pretty steady three percent uh, inflation factor, and the average price of a light vehicle in February of 2020 was thirty-seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-six dollars. Thirty. Say that number one more time, Matt. Thirty-seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-six. Mm-hmm. So I know you're going to be running a little calculation on that, but while you're doing that, yeah, listeners, the one thing to pay attention to is, you know, the the vehicle market at a three percent inflationary rate in the last forty years is pretty right on with what we're going to be looking at for your retirement. Um, there's been studies done all over the place from different economists and things, but the majority of them will say that inflation has been somewhere between two to 4%. Mm. So when I'm doing any of my retirement plans for my clients, we usually will run it at somewhere around 3% to give us the best idea of what that retirement picture is going to look like throughout their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Right. So just kind of explain that to me mathematically, what that looks like on a whiteboard, Matt. Are you saying if they get a 7% return, you're lessing out 3% of their purchasing power from that 7% return? Like how does does the individual say, okay, all this is making a ton of sense. I obviously know that bread is more than 48 cents a loaf now, but Mm -hmm. if I know that inflation is at 3% and I haven't called Mike yet, or I haven't called Matt, you know, which you can do by uh, dialing us in at um, 866-53-RETIRE. Option one, we'll put you right through to Matt. You can talk about these scenarios you're in, but if you just said like, I get a 7% return on my annuity or my portfolio, and I know inflation is 3%, what does that mean to me? Right. And so I don't normally say, okay, you've got a seven, take away three, that's your rate of return, right? So there's actually okay, a calculation that, that has simple. to be done with that. Now, um, the better way to actually look at it is looking at your expenses, taking that budget sheet and increasing those expenses year by year by the inflationary rate. Brilliant. That's a brilliant okay. way to do it. So your investments are earning X, but we need to take the expenses at a you know three four percent growth rate to give us a idea of what that's going to look like later on, right? Because there's going to be years where you're going to be withdrawing money out of your savings or your portfolios where you might not have a seven percent return, you might not have any return, you might even have a negative return. But are we going to say that we have to take the inflation and subtract that from the actual return? No, 
right? Because those are all things that can be controlled based upon what's going on in the market, whatever type of investment you may be in. The expenses that are going out are your cost of goods, right? Those things are what we can say, okay, we know what a fixed price is on it. We probably are not going to see them come down unless we have an influx uh, of supply, uh, which, you know, over time we haven't really seen, right? As, as life goes on, things get more expensive. So I think what I want to focus on today, Mike, is I'd like to take a quick break. And when we come back from the break, we can get into some of the ideas that you and I have to maybe help our listeners along and help create more smart retirees out there. How's that sound? I agree. Let's do that. Let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back after this break. We've got a bunch of cool stuff to share with you about the, some of the risks in retirement. So stick around. We'll be right back. Honestly, when was the last time you really took a hard look at your retirement plan? With the market the way it's been, it can be easy to become complacent. A new decade is upon us, which comes with a lot of questions. Can the economy and the market continue to grow? What will the next election do to my investments? Is it time to sell my house before the market adjusts to downsize and take advantage of the equity? How can I best maneuver to maximize return? The answer is simple. It never hurts to get a second opinion from a team like Century Financial Consultants. With over 40 years of financial planning experience, Get a free retirement analysis from Century Financial Consultants today to see where you stand and if you're ready for any changes we may face in the coming year. Give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Prepare for an uncertain tomorrow so you can relax and enjoy today. Get a free retirement analysis from Century Financial Consultants by calling 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Century Financial Consultants, California license numbers 0L23991 and 01756. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, NMLS number 328358. Mike Points is a licensed loan officer in California, NMLS number 1246224, and is only licensed to offer advice on mortgage products. He is not licensed as an investment advisor. All of the mortgage products Mike Points will discuss on this show are for educational purposes, and these products should be reviewed by a licensed loan officer before taking these mortgages on as your own, as they may not fit your specific situation or needs. Welcome back, listeners, from that short break for our show today on inflation risk. This is going to be part one of our four-part series focusing on the seven risks of retirement. So before the break, Mike, you and I were talking a little bit about, you know, things in 1980, things today. And, you know, we were I brought up the car thing of, you know, almost $40,000 for an car, average car today. And then you brought up the point, well, what did it look like in 2000? Well... In 2000, cars were about $20,000, okay? Mm -hmm. So that kind of said, okay, before the break, we were talking about, okay, what's the average interest rate that most economists talk about today? So if we take the the 1980 value for an average car of $5,400, 
and we took it at 3% over this last 40 years, we're only at about $20,000. Yeah. So what has happened that now the cars are almost $40,000? Well, inflation on vehicles has actually been a little bit closer to about 5%. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be for uh, uh, numerous different reasons of, you know, shipping costs to bring the vehicles here from if you're buying them, uh, you know, imports from uh, Japan and Korea and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the cost of materials. So all of those things have inflated and created a uh, higher inflation rate for vehicles. Let me do now, I don't so wanna... let me add really quick, Matt, yeah. too. Uh, right in that same salad bowl you're talking about of, of how things cost more over time is uh, the financing department for auto dealers have gotten way more creative in longer terms, right? They're stretching the term that you can reap. So they're making that household payment stay low to offset the fact that these prices are accelerating at a higher rate. Inflation is higher in the automobile market for new cars. Um, probably for used cars too, but absolutely, you know, those leases, remember those, those leases were always a thing, but they got really popular come like 2012, 13, 14, when people are like, I can't buy a new car right now. I mean, we just went through a crash. I'm barely making it back to, to normal where there was a young, my generation, you know, generation X is like just getting into buying their first new car. I mean, my first car was a joke. I had I don't even want to explain it on the show, but thank God I had four wheels, you know? <laughs> so, but I, now I'm 25, I'm 20, 24. I'm like, you know what? I got a decent job. I'm going to get a car. So lease options were great. Um, seven year terms. And when you got good credit and you buy a new car, they're throwing out zero APR. Sure. You know? Plus the truck. I, I feel like the truck has become so much more popular to the average residence now than it was before and those trucks are easily fifty thousand dollars you know a new truck absolutely so that's all skewing it too um you know i I would i'm sure that automobiles and trucks are delineated in different categories but i wanted to step in and say that the listeners that the way that that money funnels into the market is a function of inflation as it becomes cheaper as the money cost becomes cheaper, as the cost of capital becomes cheaper, as the terms become more favorable to the consumer, that price then can easily see an uptick in inflation. Sure. And I think we also have to look at the generational shift. I mean, you just made a very good point where most Americans are moving from wanting that small economy car to, again, wanting those bigger vehicles and things. So mm-hmm. They're wanting more luxurious items. So the the audio manufacturers are trying to keep pace with that. I think we're also seeing that in the real estate market where homes are being built bigger and having more lavish features and things to them, which are, of course, bringing up the costs uh, of those residences because of the demand being what it is in today's buyers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as an, as, as an advisor looking at people's retirement, uh, the old way of kind of going about and looking at things and what economists typically do is kind of look over what's called the CPI or the consumer price index uh, is really the most popular way to measure inflation in the United States. Mm-hmm. But it's going to do it in a much more general fashion, which 
is going back to Mike, you asked me a great question before the break is when I'm meeting with clients, you know, how do we figure out what type of inflationary factor we put in? Well, of course, some things may not be growing as far as costs that quickly, right? They might have a one, 2%. Your automotive needs might be at 5%, but you take that average and that's kind of where that consumer price index falls. So you can't really use it on individual things, but more of a broad spectrum of everything in your expense category. Right. Yeah. So that's why when I'm sitting with a client and they walk in the office and say, oh, I've got 90 percent of my assets sitting in a savings account and I want to just bang my head against a wall. Yes, it's very safe, but essentially you're doing that. Why? Well, because you don't want to lose money in the market. But what you're not realizing is you're losing money by sitting in the savings account. Yeah. Right. It's not keeping up with inflation. Yeah. You're losing purchasing power risk by having it sitting there. Yeah. So, yes, as far as a balance on your statement, it's not going down. But in 10 years, that money is not going to be worth what it is today. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're combating one of the seven risks, which is longevity, right? You're thinking, I don't want to run out of money. I don't want to lose principal. I don't yeah. want to have that miserable year where. I can't get out of the market fast enough. And by the time we finally sell, I'm down 20%. That's understandable. But you also have to think, I'm going to live too, right? I'm going to live for a period of time. I might live longer than I think I'm going to live. So as you live longer, that like we just talked about in today's show, you know that, that loaf of bread gets more expensive. Yep. That new car gets more expensive. Um, and certainly that real estate gets more expensive. Right. So essentially your expenses are going up. Your income needs to be going up to reflect what your expenses are doing. Right. So most Americans are going to have two to four different income sources during retirement. Right. Mm -hmm. Social Security is kind of the big one um, for some. And if you look at Social Security, I mean, it's all over the place with the amount of increases that you're going to see with it. Um, you know, I think this last about 2020 was like 1.6%, right? Again, just based off the consumer price index. Whereas back in 2018, it was 2.8%. So when I'm doing my planning, you kind of got to expect that that's more of just going to be you know, I usually run it as 1%. Don't count on your Social Security being there and inflating properly to cover your expenses, right? Wasn't it, was it 2016 that they only raised it like 0.03%? I remember one year in the last 10 years where it was like, wow, they didn't even raise it. Yep, great point. Yeah, 2016, 0.3%. But here's the aha thing for a lot of listeners that you know probably you're, you you may or may not be aware of is yes they're giving you an increase on your social security benefit but the majority of seniors taking social security are also taking medicare mm -hmm. and so what happens is yes they will increase your benefit amount but they're also increasing the amount that you have to pay for your medicare mm -hmm. right so it's kind of a wash you're just paying more for healthcare whether you're using it or not Mm -hmm. So does your dollars really increase? Probably not with Social Security. So what else can we look at, right? We've got our pensions. Usually that, those aren't going to increase at all uh, unless you were, had some type of position where it was like a government job or had a really good pension through your work that follows some type of increase. Uh, 
Um, we've got your maybe possibly rental properties, right? So hopefully, Mike, and I'll let you kind of tune in on this in just a second, but mm -hmm. looking at rental properties, making sure that you're adjusting your rent that you're charging to your tenants, bringing that up at some type of inflationary factor every year, your tenants probably won't like it. You don't want to be that bad, bad landlord saying, hey, I've got to raise your rent. But at the end of the day, you've got to do what's best for yourself mm -hmm. and also your tenants. So I'm sure there's a way to kind of find a happy medium there that you can set up ahead of time. And fourth and final is really your own investment decisions, right? Is figuring out where to put the money that you've saved to create an income that you can't outlive. And I don't want to get into exact investment uh, suggestions today, but I will tell you a really good way of doing this is take the number 110. Okay. So take it 110. Let's say you're 50 years old, right? So we subtract 50 from 110. Mike, what do we got? We got 60. Okay. So 60% of your retirement assets should be in some type of equity or more risky type of investment, if you will, mm -hmm. whereas the other 40% could be used for fixed income or less, less risky moderate type of- Moderate to low, moderate to low yeah, risk. I, I would say low. Your okay. high to moderate would probably go over in that 60% category. Okay. Right. And if you're one of those listeners kind of sitting out there, they're like, okay, well, I can do that number calculation, but I really need some insight on what I should be putting it into. Um, here's what I'll do for you. I will today, because you're listening to this show, if you call in 866-53-RETIRE, again, that's 866-53-RETIRE, at absolutely no cost to you, we will go ahead and take a look at your current income sources your current expenses, and your current assets. And I will give you an inflation plan for your retirement plan to give you an idea if you're on the right track or not and give you some suggestions as to what you could be doing now and in the future to help improve that so you're not having to keep yourself up at night worrying about what your retirement plan may do because of inflation. So, Mike, I do want to kind of come back to you um, regarding real estate. And yeah. I know you had a couple of key points you wanted to to kind of pop in here. So I'm going to turn the table over to you. Yeah, with real estate, we're seeing it so much now in California and, and really across the nation because of the pandemic that there are less and less houses for sale than there. There's less inventory for sale than there have been in the past 10 years. We many of our coastal states, you know, Washington down through California, and then New York down through Florida on the East Coast have housing shortages because when we went into the, the financial crash, the mortgage crash is also known as in 2008, we lost a lot of motivation from builders to go out and build. So there's just a very big shortage in new construction. Now, you probably would tell me, well, not in my neighborhood because new construction is going nuts right now. But Nevertheless, we don't have existing homes hitting the market because no one wants to come. No one wants anyone to come into their house and spread around the virus or 
no one's really sure about the future of this economy over the next 12 months. So they were going to list their house, but now they're just going to wait, which is a normal reaction. But because of that, there are limited units for buyers to bid on. It's a seller's market and sellers, as you know, when the market is yours, price goes up much faster than it would in a buyer's market. You're naturally going to have two, three, four individual parties making an offer on your house at the same time. If you have a real estate agent that can spell real estate, they're going to do a multiple counter offer to all four parties and say, hey, guess what? You guys all made decent offers. Give me your best and final offer and I will present that to my seller. So right there, naturally, that's creating, that's what I call a transaction inflationary event. You know, you're going to come in and produce documentation to an appraiser that says, hey, look, this house had four offers on it. I accepted the one that was 25000 over asking. The other two that were just below it were only $20,000 over asking. So I've got a market here that justifies this higher price, as you can see from this documentation. It's going to be very hard for that appraiser to go into that neighborhood where he's seen other multiple counter offers take place recently in the last three months and not justify that higher price. Things that will that will get in the way of that, I don't have time to go into on this show, but what I'm trying to explain is that the limited supply is driving price up because there's a higher demand on that unit that's available. The second major wind in the sail right now with real estate and predominantly with assets that are being purchased, the major assets, things like houses, cars, you know, fine art, um, things that will be uh, that you can keep on your balance sheet for long periods of time. Uh, we're seeing very, very low cost of financing. So many people that would normally say, oh, I'd rather buy this with cash, but man, it's it, the rates are so ridiculously low right now. I'm just going to finance it and put 25% of my money into it. And so that leaves some of their cash on the sideline, excuse me, in their pockets instead of in the asset. So it allows them to buy more things. Right now, a 30-year mortgage on a house that's $500,000 with 10% down is well below 3% interest rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage. I mean, that is historically really, really low. Um, uh, 15-year mortgages, I've been pricing out refinances for 15-year mortgages where people own 35 to 40% of the home. So they have a 60% loan to value, Matt. Yesterday, I priced one out where I saw 2% as an option. They could buy wow. down their interest rate to 2.0. Uh, they were going to have to pay a little over two points in origination fees. So I talked them out of that because I just didn't think it was worth it. But that's actually an option for me to sell right now. So as that, as that financing becomes lower, it, it forces that price up in real estate. So what does that mean, consumers? There are benefits to inflation, right? Like Matt was saying, let's take into consideration our budget. Let's, let's find out a way to get a reasonable return so that, that our inflationary risk, it, we are combating that. What I would add as the real estate banker in this conversation is, think about ways that you can take advantage of this interest rate now, whether it be refinancing and getting a lower interest rate and a lower payment. Therefore, the additional cash flow that's coming to you from your rental properties helps you offset the inflation risk in consumer goods, the bread, the loaf of bread we talked about, the gallon of milk we talked about, 
the car that you may need to buy in three years because your car, albeit great today, is 10 years old and been paid for for five years. Um, so think about, uh, in addition to refinancing to get more cash flow, think about maybe in the last six months, 12 months, 18 months, you've had expenses. Inflation has been punishing you because you didn't plan well and you kept your income at the same because you are risk averse and you don't want to lose principal. That's understandable, but you didn't manage inflation risk well. Well, the average consumer that I talk to and listen to, when their expenses exceed their income, they end up borrowing. Most people don't just say no. So they end up putting it on credit. They end up getting personal loans for things. Maybe they got a boat loan for a boat they've been wanting to have their whole life. They didn't really save up enough to buy it all cash. Think about taking cash out right now against the assets that are going up in value, right? Because of that multiple counter offer I just mentioned in your neighborhood that's closed over the last three months, that's pushing up the value of your home. If I have an appraiser come out during a refinance and say, look, the house that sold right around the street from you just sold for $25,000 over asking, it's basically the same square footage. It's basically the same condition as your house. It's basically the same lot size. So you thought your house was worth $725. Now it's worth $770. You know, maybe if you're in another state, your house was, you thought it was worth $275. Now it's worth $325. You can take some of those consumer debts that you have on credit cards or personal loans and roll them into a cash out mortgage. Have all of those loans go into one payment. Free up your discretionary income so that you, if you're 55, 60 years old, 65 years old, think about doing this because this allows you now to sit tight and combat against in, um, inflation risk. So as we're wrapping up the show today, you know, Matt and I come from two different worlds, but it's nice to have on your team. Um, give us a call if you want to talk about the idea of refinancing and accessing some of your equity to reduce your monthly payments. Give us a call um, by dialing 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Option one is Matt Hollander and option two would be Mike Points. Let's have a discussion. Uh, you know, we don't bill for our time. Many times after we find a product for you, because we represent you, we would then offer you a product where the company would pay us commission. We want to offer you these things in a more personalized way because over the radio and over this podcast, we want to be, you know, general giving you knowledge, but we're ready to have individual conversations with you right now. Also tune in for the other three parts of this four part series. It's going to be great. We're going to touch on things like longevity risk, you know, not outliving your money, withdrawal risk, Matt, I'm not even sure I know how to explain that. Um, you know, we're going to talk about sequence of return risk, market risk, interest rate risk, and one that I think is fascinating and been under more scrutiny um, since 2000 is behavioral risk. You know, why, why these stocks go sky high, these flyers out of nowhere. And um, we'll touch on all that over three different parts um, after this show. That'll lead us right up into the election. And so, um, listeners, we hope you like this content. Also, do us a favor. Email us at info at smartretirementcast.net. That's info at smartretirementcast.net. Tell us a couple things you want us to add in, you know, talking about these risks. Um, we hope you like the show today. And in closing, Matt, I'd like to have you take us away. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Let's go out and make the rest of our lives the best of our lives.
The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or construed as providing specific investment advice. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. California license number 0175638 and MLS number 1246224. Cause nobody gets a second chance to make new old friends. I believe in working hard for what you've got. Even if it don't add up to a hell of a lot. I believe most people are good and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good.